Well, good morning. How you doing? Good. It's good to see everybody. Welcome to Springwell. Hope that everybody had a good Christmas and hope that you guys are looking forward to New Year's Eve tomorrow night and ringing in 2019. Can you believe it? It's already here. Like, where did this year go? It's already gone. Um, This morning, we have a special worship set planned that we're excited about. We actually chose our top 10 favorite worship songs of 2018, and we put that online, and then you guys actually voted your favorite top three from that list of 10, and that is our set list this morning. We're really excited about that. Uh, The order that we're going to play these songs is actually starting with uh, number three, and then we're going to work our way to number two and to number one. So you guys are going to know these songs. We're going to sing them together. It's going to be a great time. Right now, why don't you stand, greet somebody around you, and then we're going to sing together. Sing, I count on one thing, I count on one thing. The same God that never fails will not fail me now. You won't fail me now in the waiting. The same God who's never late is working all things out. You're working all things out. Yes, I will lift you high in the lowest valley. Yes, I will bless your name. Yes, I will sing for joy when my heart is heavy all my days. Yes, I
that lay between us How high the mountain I could not climb In desperation I turned to heaven And spoke your name into the night Then through the darkness Your loving kindness Tore through the shadows Of my soul The work is finished The end is written Jesus Christ My living
sing this with me. Before I spoke a word, before I spoke a word, you were singing over me. You have been so, so good to me. Before I took a breath, before I took a breath, you breathed your life in me. You have been so, so kind to me. Come on, let me hear you sing it. Oh, the overwhelming. Sing it out. And I could earn it, I don't deserve it. Still, you give yourself away. Oh, the overwhelming, never ending, reckless love of God. favorite verse. Sing it out with me. When I was your foe. When I was your foe, steal your love far from me. You have been so, so good to me. Yes, you have. When I felt no worth, you paid it all for me. You have been so, so kind to me. Sing it out. Oh, the overwhelming, never-ending, reckless love of God. Oh, it chases me down, fights till I'm found, leaves the 99. And I could earn it, I don't deserve it, still Give yourself away Oh, the overwhelming, never-ending, reckless love of God shadow you won't light up mountain you won't climb up coming after me there's no wall you won't kick down lie you won't tear down coming after me there's no shadow you won't light up mountain you won't climb up coming after me there's no wall you won't kick down Lie, you won't tear down Coming after me Everybody There's no shadow you won't light up Mountain you won't climb up Coming after me There's no wall you won't kick down Lie, you won't tear down Coming after me There's no shadow you won't light up Mountain you won't climb up Coming after me
Father, thank you for your love. God, thank you for loving us with a love that is patient, a love that is kind, that is full of grace and mercy. Father, thank you for your presence this morning. Lord, we just look forward to all that you're going to do in this place today. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You guys can be seated. To close out our time of worship this morning, uh, we're going to worship through our giving, uh, something that we do every single week. Uh, If you're sitting on the left end of your row, you'll find a black giving bucket, and you can pass that down your row at this time. Good morning, everyone. How are we today? Okay, this side, a little more excited about it than this side over here. Y'all are still in like the, the Christmas coma. I get it. I understand it. Okay. Thank you, Elaine. I appreciate that. The, uh, no, it is great to have everyone here this morning. And I just want to say right off the bat, it's an honor to be able to give Pastor Scott a little break today um, that is, is much deserved. We have had a lot going on in the past month. And in the last week alone, we have had a lot that has been happening around here. How many of you were able to make it to one of our Christmas Eve services? Was it not incredible, right? Like, it was, it was amazing. If, if you were not here, if you were not able to be here on Monday, and I think it was Monday because my days are so mixed up. We had church on Monday, so I thought it was Sunday, and I, I'm so mixed up. I, I'm surprised I made it here today, to be honest with you. But Um, No, if you weren't able to be here on Monday to experience one of those services, go online, find it, and watch it. Trust me, you will not be sorry. We have so many talented people uh, and so many incredible volunteers who put so much time and effort into crafting, truthfully, one of the best experiences I've ever had in my life in church. And so it was great. We appreciate them so much. All of you who served everywhere who did something to be a part of that. Thank you. Thank you so much. It was a great, great time. And then, of course, we have Christmas. The Christmas season has now come to an end, and we are looking forward to a new year. We're coming out of a time of year where it's all about everyone else, right? I mean, Christmas really makes us think about other people. We think about the gifts that we're going to give. We think about how we can meet other people's needs, and that's a typical feeling that we all have Regardless of whether or not you have a relationship with Jesus Christ or not, it's just something that happens during this time of year. But now as we get ready to move out of Christmas, or we've moved out of Christmas, we're moving into a brand new year, our thought pattern starts to shift a little bit. We start to move into this thought process of, okay, what are the things that I didn't accomplish during this past year that I want to accomplish next year? What are the things that I said I was going to do during the past year and I never even took a step or I started them and they fell off? What were the New Year's resolutions? How can I become a better me? How can I become a better person? And typically this is a Sunday where if uh, you've been in church before on this particular Sunday, it's a message usually that you hear that's how do I make myself better? What do I do to be a better person this time next year than I am right now? And there's nothing wrong with that message. One of the things that our society says, though, is that if you want to make an impact, if you want to be a better person, you need to impact people around you. And I do not disagree with that. But I do disagree with how they say that we should do it. 
A lot of times it's who can talk louder. Who can be heard more verbally? Who can put more posts out on social media that people are going to pay more attention to, that are going to cause change, that are going to cause people to feel differently about themselves, that are going to make other people take notice that something's happened in my life? I actually believe that if we're going to make an impact on on the world around us during 2019, I don't think it has anything to do with being heard. I think it has to do with not being louder verbally, but I think it has everything to do with being louder with how we live. I think we need to live loud, and that's not about how much noise can come from our mouth because believe me, if there is anyone on earth who understands being loud, I get that. Like, that's me. If you spend any time around, you get it. Like, I'm a loud person by nature. I've passed that down to our daughter, and my wife hates it. And it's, it is what it is. Like, she has to fight that battle every day. I understand the being loud part. But I actually believe that if we're going to make a real difference the next year, that it's not about how loud we talk and how much we're heard verbally, but it's about how loud we actually Live. So today, I want, us to, I want to challenge us to take a look at the new year and think about it in a little different light. And I want to do so uh, by looking in the Bible, in the New Testament, in Luke chapter 10. And as we do so today, we're about to hear uh, an interaction that Jesus has with a man. And Jesus is about to share a parable or a story that has a purpose behind it and a point that we can take and apply to our lives that I believe should that we should focus on and it'll have a direct impact on how we should shift our focus to others as opposed to us during the course of the new year. So let's go ahead and jump right in it. Luke chapter 10, verse 25 says, Then an expert in the law stood up to test him, him being Jesus, saying, Teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What's written in the law? Jesus asked him, How do you read it? And the man answered, Love the Lord your God with all your heart with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. That's almost a throwaway statement right there. Jesus says, you've answered correctly. Do this and you will live. There are other translations of Scripture that says, do this and you will have eternal life. But wanting to justify himself, the man asked Jesus, who is my neighbor? So this passage that we're looking at today begins with what seems like just another guy asking Jesus a question. He comes to him and calls him teacher, which is is the word rabbi. And during this time, it was expected that rabbis, that teachers would have discussions and conversations, debates on theological topics like this. And they would do so in public. But this is, and this is a question that was actually debated a lot by Jews. What do I have to do to, to live forever, to have eternal life? It's a really good question that the man asked. A really good question. It's just that he has a really bad motive behind the reason that he asked it. The man who asked the question, it says, is an expert in the law. Basically, this guy, all he did was he studied the law that was handed down by God to the Jewish people. He studied it. He taught it. He interpreted it. He tore it apart, and he dealt with practical questions of that law. It's all he did. So he's not asking Jesus this question because he doesn't know the answer. He knows the response. He knows what he's going to say. What he's doing is he's trying to trap Jesus. And it's a trap to say, okay, so this is what you've been teaching. You've been teaching something in a lot of ways that's completely different than everything that I've heard and everything that I've grown up from, Jesus. So I'm going to ask you this question. What do I have to do to have eternal life? And Jesus responds with this, well, well, you you know what it says, so you tell me. You tell me how you read it. It's kind of like when I help my daughter with her homework and she comes in and she's like, Daddy, what's what's 13 plus 7? And I look at her and I'm like, you know how to do it. You answer it. Like, legitimately, 13 plus 7, I can do that when it's 20, okay? Like, I get that. I'm not saying that to her because I don't know the answer. Like, you, we get it. Parents, you understand that. There are some of those things where you just go back because you want them to recall what they've learned. You want them to answer. And so 
that's kind of what happens here. Jesus isn't responding this way because he doesn't know the answer to the question. I mean, he's actually the one who spoke it. So, I mean, he knows the answer to the question here. But it's one of those, what do you think it says kind of things. And the man responds with scripture, which is good, right? Like, if you're going to answer a question, if you can answer it with something that comes from the Bible, that's probably a good thing, right? Never a bad thing to respond to a question with something that comes from the Bible. And he responds with a passage from Deuteronomy chapter 6. And what he says when he talks about loving God with all of your heart and all your soul, all your mind, all your strength, when he responds that way and love your neighbors yourself, it's something that Jewish people have been taught their entire lives. They had been taught that you love God this way with everything that you have. And then you love your neighbor as you love yourself. I don't know about y'all, but like I, I want me to, to have a pretty good life. Like I, I want to be respected. I want to be loved. I want those things. I, I'm not going to be one of those people who are going to sit back and be like, I want to have a horrible day today. No, I'm not going to do that. I want to have a great day. I don't want to have an empty bank account. I want to have a great bank account. I don't want to have to worry about whether or not my child is going to obey or not. I just want to know that it's going to happen. I love myself. And the man responds, you love God with everything you've got, but then you love others as you love yourself. Well, here's what the guy was missing in this moment. He wasn't connecting the dots with this whole idea of living loud. Because the love that I have for other people comes from an overflow of the love that I have for God. The way I treat people, the way I interact with people, the way I love people, the way I serve people is a direct correlation to the relationship that I have with God. It all happens out of overflow. And here's what we need to understand about that kind of love. That's a love that's caught, not taught. I, I want to I show you what I'm talking about. Uh, so on the first two Christmas gifts that were underneath our tree uh, were these just little tiny boxes. And I was trying to figure out, like, where did these things come from? What are these gifts that are under here? And I went and looked and realized that one was from our daughter Hannah to me, and one was from her to my wife Michelle. And I was like, where in the world, when did this happen? Like, when did the, the gift buying? And I remember that she had spent like a weekend with my mom, and I was like, oh, mom took her shopping or something like that. But then I was like, hey, where did the gifts come from? And she said, I got them at the store at school. Like, they have this store at her elementary school where you can go in with just a little bit of money, and they have these little things, and they can buy stuff for brothers or sisters or friends or whatever. And she went in and bought something for Michelle and I. Now, I have mine with me today, and I want to show you guys because seriously, this was my favorite thing that I received at Christmas. If you can't see what it is, it's just a little trophy, and it says number one dad. Yep, knew that was coming. All right, so uh, for all of you other dads in the room, hate to break it to you, you lose. So uh, <laughs> according to Hannah Rhodes, I've got it. You don't own the trophy. I do. No. Um, seriously, like I opened up the little box, and this trophy's in there, and I'm sitting there going, this, this is really one of the coolest gifts I've ever gotten, because I didn't tell her, hey, like, I call her sweets, that's just like what I've called her literally since she was born, uh, I didn't look at her at some point in time during the course of December and say, hey, sweets, just remember how great daddy is, go buy him a trophy, like, I, I didn't say that, sounds like something I would do, but I, I didn't, I never said that to her, and it, but it wasn't as much my gift that made the impact on me as much as it was her gift for Michelle. Because as Michelle is opening hers up, the first thing she says is, Mommy, I hope it fits. And I'm sitting there going, what has she got in here? And when she opened it up, it was a little ring that had just a little green stone in it. It was just like a little adjustable ring. And as soon as she pulled it out of the little package, Hannah's exact words were, Mommy, I knew you like jewelry, and I know that green's your favorite color. Oh, I got two alls. I'm doing good. All right, so. <laughs> and I started thinking about her saying that. 
I didn't tell her, go buy mommy a ring that has a green stone in it because she likes jewelry and because green's her favorite color. There was no one at school that would have known to have told her to go and do that. The reason she knew what to buy was because of the relationship that she has with us. The reason that she knew what to buy for my wife was because she had been around her enough She has such a relationship with her that she knows she likes jewelry and she knows that green is her favorite color. So when she saw that little ring in her mind, she didn't just see something, oh, I can buy. She saw mommy. She observed who we are and she thought about how can I demonstrate how I feel about them. She didn't have to be told what to buy. Loving people because we're told to do so, isn't the same as loving them out of an overflow of a relationship with God. Anyone can treat someone good because you're told treat them well. Anyone can follow the golden rule. Do to others the way you you want to be treated. Like treat them the way you want to be treated. Anyone can live that way, but it is different when you don't have to be told and you just love your neighbor as yourself because of the relationship that you have with God. That's what Jesus tells the man. He says, you're right. Go and do exactly what you said. But there's a big difference between knowing what to do and actually doing it. So the man decides he needs to define who his neighbor is. It says that he wants to justify his response because in his mind, what he's thinking about through all of this is he's thinking more about his relationship with God than he is his relationship with others. He's thinking more about the vertical love in his life, the relationship with God, love God with everything that I've got, and love my neighbor as myself, more than he is the horizontal relationship. So he seeks to define who his neighbor is because it's going to make his response When Jesus says, go and love your neighbor, a whole lot easier. It's going to be a lot easier if if Jesus were to just say, uh, love your family. Your neighbor's your best friend. Your neighbor's the person who's lived next to you for 40 years. The neighbor, your neighbor's the person who works across from you, the person that you have relationship with, the person that you spend a lot of time with, the person that you have a lot in common with, that's your neighbor. It would just be easier if Jesus were to say that. And here is why this is so important. It's because this is what I've learned, and sadly enough, I hate to say this, but I've learned it in my own life. It's a lot easier to fake vertical love than it is to fake horizontal love. It's a lot easier for me to fake a relationship with God than it is to fake a relationship with how I love other people. Because I can say all the right things, I can know all the scripture, I can know all of the responses, I can do all of those things, I can sing all the words to the song, I can do all of that and make people think, man, he really loves God. He loves God with everything he's got. But what Jesus is about to demonstrate to this man is that part of the demonstration for how you love God is how you love other people. Because if I can say I love God with all, my, all of my heart, but I don't love my neighbor as myself, there's a disconnect there that I really have to start thinking through. If I really love God with everything that I am, it's going to be pretty much impossible to not love other people. And Jesus is about to set that stage. So in verse 30, Jesus, instead of just answering the question, and this is one of the things I love about Scripture, it's one of the things I love about the way that Jesus taught people, is that he didn't just say, this is who your neighbor is. He actually told a story. He made it relatable. So it says that Jesus took up the question and said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell into the hands of robbers. They stripped him beat him up, and fled, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down that road. When he saw him, he passed by on the other side. In the same way, a Levite, when he arrived at the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. So Jesus uses a familiar scenario here to everyone. 
he's telling a story, and he doesn't just make something up out of thin air. He actually uses a story that would make sense to everyone who's around. When he says that he goes down from Jerusalem to Jericho, literally he's going downhill. Um, There was a severe drop in altitude from Jerusalem to Jericho. The trip would have been about 17 miles long that he was actually making, and it was desolate. And because of the narrowness of the passes, I mean, we understand, well, it's like to go around a mountain road. It's more narrow. There are a lot of hard turns. There are a lot of blind curves. There are all of these kind of things that take place. So because of the narrowness, the ravines that would have been formed, the cliffs, the uh, the caverns that were off to the side, and all of the sudden turns, it was ideal for an ambush for people to attack you. As a matter of fact, this trip from Jerusalem to Jericho was commonly known as the Red Way or the Bloody Way because this is something that happened all of the time. So these people would have understood, would have been able to put themselves, maybe they had been a victim of an attack. Maybe a family member or a friend had been a victim of an attack that actually took place on this trip. The man in the story is stripped, he's beaten, and he's left for dead. So as Jesus tells this story, these people are starting to think. I'm certain that they're standing there starting to think in their mind and starting to relate. Oh, I remember when this guy that I know had that happen to him. I remember when this person in my family made that same trip and that exact same thing happened. Like, they're picturing it in their mind. They know what's going on. They're thinking of the person who's been in the same situation. All of us know people who are in similar situations. Maybe not that they've actually been beaten and stripped and bloodied and left for dead on the side of a narrow road. But we know people that because of the circumstances of life have been beaten and bloodied and stripped and left for dead on the side of the road. Because of things that are going on at home, because of things that are going on at work, because of things that are going on in the classroom, because of the doubt and despair that they have in their lives, because of the addiction that they're facing, because of the the sin, because of choices that that they've made, have left them feeling like they're just left on the side of the road for dead. And Jesus is uh, is about to set up that the same way that these people knew people who had physically gone through these things, the way that we know people who have gone through things in our lives, maybe we've gone through them so it's easier for us to recognize in other people that they are struggling with the same things, that they're in that same point of life that we were in at some point in time. Jesus is about to tell everyone, I have a choice to make regarding how I respond to their needs. So he describes two potential responses. He says that the first person who comes by is a priest. Now, a priest is exactly the way that it sounds. A priest is someone who... Um, had this direct line between people, the people uh, of God, and God. Someone who would have served and and worked in the temple. This is someone who would have made sacrifices. This is someone who was the direct line of contact between people and God. Now, what he would have known was that if he were to have touched a dead body, he would have been considered unclean for seven days. And if he were considered unclean for seven days, he would not have been able to fulfill his duty in the temple. He would have lost his turn to serve in the temple. Now, we know that the, we're going to find out, we know that the man was left for dead. It doesn't say that he's dead. So I'm just picturing this priest, like on his donkey, going down this road, and he comes up and he sees something over on the side, and he looks as he's going. It doesn't say that he gets, gets close to him. It says that he looks and he sees the man. And if he's beaten the way that it says that he is, this guy's got to be thinking from a distance, oh, he's got to be dead. So in his mind, he has a choice now. Do I choose between taking care of me or taking care of him? Do I choose between losing my turn ceremonially or do I demonstrate charity? And I can just picture him riding and looking over there and being like, ooh, that 
looks bad, stinks to be you, cruise to the other side of the road and keep on going. Like That's what I picture in my mind. He went out of his way to not get close. I read this and I start to think, is this typically how I respond when I see somebody in need? Is this how I respond when I see someone who's been beaten and stripped and bloodied and left for dead by the circumstances of life and by the things that they're going through and they're dealing with? Do I just get close enough and be like, hmm, let them deal with that. I'm just going to go on my way and do my thing. That's a take care of me attitude. And it's the exact opposite of the reason that Jesus was on earth to begin with. Jesus wasn't there telling that story so that he could look at everyone who was dealing with the mess and the despair and the destruction of life and go, oh, I'm staying on this side of the road. Y'all deal with yourself. He was literally there to actually come and help us through that and deal with it. So Jesus gives us this priest response, but he also says that a Levite comes by. A Levite would have been responsible for ensuring that the temple was clean. He would have taken care of practical matters that were in the, the temple. And it says that he came close. Like he got closer. I can picture this guy on his donkey. And he gets up and he sees the guy on the side of the road. And he gets over closer to him, maybe even hops down and looks at him. And then it's just like, yep, you're on your own. And he cruises to the other side of the road and he keeps going. It says that he actually comes close. This is a man who knew and understood the importance of cleanliness, but he chose not to practice it for this man's sake. This is someone who would have done everything that he did inside of the temple. His entire life would have been built around cleanliness, yet he sees someone who's in this condition on the side of the road and doesn't want to do anything because it was messy. Because he wanted to stay clean compared to what that guy looked like. I think about, do I respond to people this way? And when I think about the times that I do, I realize that it's a someone else can take care of it response. There's someone else who can do that better than me. There's somebody else who will come along. Both of these men saw the need. And here's the part that if you pay attention to the story, to me really breaks my heart more than anything else. It's not so much that they're religious, churchy guys. But if they were going from Jerusalem to Jericho, they would have been leaving what they were doing in the temple. The house of God. And they still chose not to meet his name. See, for some of us, and I've, I've been in this place many, many times where I've thought more about what I do in the context of church, of meeting people's needs than actually going and getting dirty and meeting people's needs and really paying attention to it. Because that's an action out of obligation, not out of overflow. These guys saw the need but they didn't want to meet the need. And, and I want to illustrate to you guys kind of how I think that we can get caught up uh, in this. And so what we're going to do is in just a moment, uh, we're going to show a video. And I want everyone to just watch the screens. And as soon as it comes on, you're going to be giving, given some very specific directions. I want you to do You don't have to, like, get up. This isn't like Simon Says or Hokey Pokey or anything like that, okay? You get to stay right where you're at. Um, but it is very important that you do exactly what it says, all right? Focus, pay attention, do exactly what the video says. Let's go ahead and take a look. Count how many times the players wearing white pass the ball.
The correct answer is 16 passes. Did you spot the gorilla? For people who haven't seen or heard about a video like this before, about half missed the gorilla. If you knew about the gorilla, you probably saw it. But did you notice the curtain changing color or the player on the black team leaving the game? Let's rewind and watch it again. Here comes the gorilla, and there goes a player, and the curtain is changing from red to gold. When you're looking for a gorilla, you often miss other unexpected events. Okay, so how many people counted 16 passes? And you were like, I'm so proud of myself. Like, there were some people, like, I could hear it from up here. Somebody said that the correct answer was 16, and I heard like, mm-hmm. Like, yep, I got that right. How many people saw the gorilla? Hey, that's a lot. How many people was like, you just showed me a different video. There wasn't no gorilla in that thing, right? So, yes, some of you are like, yeah, you tricked me. Nope, same video. How many of you saw the person leave the black team? How many of you saw the curtain change color? See, here's the thing. We got some, we get in here, we're watching it. We got that 16 right because we were told, pay attention to the people on the white team and how many times they pass it. The one thing you need to do, the only thing you need to do is just count the passes. And we got so focused on it that for some of us, we didn't see the gorilla come into the frame. Then for some of us, we may have seen the gorilla come into frame and we got so caught off guard by the gorilla coming in the frame, we didn't see the person on the black team walk off because we weren't told to pay attention to the people who were wearing the black shirts, just the white shirts. And then when we saw the person leave and we were still counting, we may not have paid attention to the curtain changing color. It's easy to go, get so caught up in one thing that we miss the big picture. That's the entire purpose behind that video. It's the entire purpose behind that illustration is that when we're told over and over and over, do it this way, do exactly this thing, that we start to miss the other smaller things that are going on around it. These guys had just come in the story. They had just come from a place where it was all about God, where it was all about getting close to God, where it was all about being right with God and moving from there, going somewhere else, that they were so focused on the big thing, they were so focused on the one thing that they missed the guy whose life was about to end on the side of the road. We get so caught up sometimes in people's past and trying to help them get over their past or trying to help people move past their present, that we forget about the importance of their future, that we forget about the importance of their eternity. Because it's all about helping them move on from this or change from this moment, that we don't think about that. We get so caught up in trying to help someone walk through and navigate the mess of their life that we forget about the Messiah that can deliver them from the mess of that life. If all I do is get caught up in the do's and don'ts of religion, I'll struggle to demonstrate God's love that I've experienced personally. If everything that I do is just based on what I've been told to do and I don't react and I don't demonstrate action and I don't love my neighbor as myself out of the overflow of my relationship with God, I'm going to struggle to demonstrate that. The same way and when we pay attention to that one small thing in the video, we miss all of the other things that are going on. And that brings us to a third option that Jesus is actually going to give everyone. Verse 33, he continues the story and says, But a Samaritan on his journey came up to him, the man on the side of the road. And when he saw the man, he had compassion. He went over to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on olive oil and wine. Then he put him down, or excuse me, then he put him on his own animal, and he brought him to an inn. And he took care of him. The next day, he took out two denarii, and he gave them to the innkeeper, and he said, take care of him. And when I come back, I'll reimburse you for whatever you spend. So Jesus says a priest comes by, a Levite comes by, people that, that these folks who were listening to this would have revered, would have held in high esteem. 
But then he says a Samaritan comes by, and Samaritans were despised because of their mixed Gentile blood and and their different worship than what Jewish people had. So to the listeners of Jesus' story, even though the priest and the Levite didn't help the man and they moved by, they weren't the villain. The villain of the story was the Samaritan when he showed up. And Jesus actually says the Samaritan came up to him. And when he saw the man, he had compassion. That when he came up to him, like literally like was on top of him. Like as he was traveling, all of a sudden he finds himself face to face right there with this man. But he didn't sidestep him. And he didn't dodge him. He didn't take his animal and ride to the other side of the road. He went to him. And why did he go to him? He had no reason to risk his own life. He didn't know if those men were still waiting to come and attack him. But he couldn't walk away. The reason he couldn't walk away is because it said that he felt compassion for the man. The same way that God felt compassion for mankind and said they can't resolve their issue with sin on their own. So I'm going to send my son to be the sacrifice for them. The same way that Jesus Christ, God's son, felt compassion about us, and even though we didn't have to, gave us life so that we could live, so that we could be healed. So when Jesus starts to say this, and he says that the man felt compassion toward this other man that he didn't know, he had no reason to stop and help. He's telling us that compassion requires action. The man cares for and cleans the man's wounds. He was willing to get dirty for that man's good. And then he's willing, when he pays the innkeeper, what he paid the man would have been the equivalent of two days' wages for a total stranger. If minimum wage is seven twenty-five an hour and you work eight hours a day for two days, it comes out to $116. If I had $116 and there was someone who was going through something on, in life and I didn't have any reason to go help them, would I just be willing to do whatever I had to do, pay whatever price I had to pay in order to help them? But that's what the man does. He was willing to get involved in the messy situation. And here's the importance of that. Messy situations are opportunities to demonstrate the magnificence of grace. Messy situations are opportunities to demonstrate the same kind of grace and mercy and love that God has for me to someone else so that they cannot look at me and go, man, you're a great guy. No, so that they can look and say, man, he's a great God. I'm not going to sit here and lie to you. Acting on compassion can be a long and difficult process. It's going to require me to get my hands dirty. And it's going to cost me something. But don't forget this. God didn't take a shortcut when it came to dealing with my mess. God didn't take a shortcut when it came to dealing with yours. So for us to live loud... It's going to require us to demonstrate some compassion. It's going to require us to do the same thing that the Samaritan did. Jesus finishes the story in verse 36 and 37 by saying, which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? The one who showed him mercy, the man said. And then Jesus told him, go and do the same. Jesus reverses the question. Again, I love how Jesus teaches all throughout Scripture because he does it in a completely different way than probably what we would think of He reverses that question the same way, again, that I would do with my daughter when she's doing her homework. Daddy, what's the answer to this? What do you think the answer is? Again, not because of one of those things, because I don't actually know the answer. Sometimes I don't. She's in second grade, and I'll just be honest with you. Sometimes I don't even know. I look at it, and I'm like, where did this come from? Like, that was a long time ago when I did that. I don't even know what this is anymore. But I don't ask her those questions Because I don't know the answer, I ask her the question because I want to make sure she understands how to do it. 
Jesus asked the question here not to rub it in the guy's face, but to make sure that he understands who is the neighbor and what do you need to do? That's what Jesus is doing here, not only for that man in the story, but for us today. He's calling us. He says, go and do the same. The same way that the Samaritan took care of the guy that he didn't have to, that he didn't know that was a complete stranger, the same way that I was willing to come here and do the same thing for you, now go and imitate me. Go and do the same thing. There comes a point where we have to realize where knowing what someone needs isn't enough. And that we actually have to go and meet the need. Intentional imitation of Jesus Christ means that I meet people's needs. That's how I live loud. The way that I'm heard, the way that I make a profound difference isn't always by talking louder. It isn't always by knowing the most. It isn't always by being able to win the argument. But we will always live loud and we will always have a profound impact on people. When we demonstrate the same kind of love for people, that God has for us. So I want to leave you with a question that I want you to think about. This is a story that Jesus set up. There were two men who to everyone else had the vertical relationship right. But they did nothing. I want you to think about this. What if God only talked and he never acted? What if God only said, I love you, but he never demonstrated that he loved us? What if God looked down from heaven and saw us beaten and bloodied and stripped and left for dead because of our sin? And he just cruised by and looked and went, Ooh, it stinks to be you, and just cruised to the other side of the road. What if he came by and he saw that and he got close enough to look and he was like, you're a sinner. You don't need to be a sinner. Like, you need to fix that. Good luck with that. Somebody else will come by and tell you how to do it. And he just kept on going. What if he talked, but he never acted? What if he just moved away? What if he came close but then said, no, I'm not going to do anything about it? No, he didn't do that. He came to us, he got his hands dirty, and he paid the price for us to be made well. He didn't just talk, he acted. So in the coming year, if I'm going to live loud and I'm really going to impact other people's lives, I need to start identifying the people in my life that need me to live loud. I can promise you that every one of us in this room right now has someone in our life that all they've done is they've had people come close to them and look at the mess that they're in and look at the situation that they're in and just walk to the other side and walk away and said, I'm going to take care of me. I'm going to stay clean. I don't want to get involved in the mess or someone else will come and do it. When we just need to love our neighbor as ourselves. And we just need to have that kind of impact in people's lives. Who is the person today in your life? Who are the people in your life that you can think of right now that you need to come close, that you need to get down, and you need to be able to be willing to get into the mess, be willing to get dirty, and do everything in your power to help that person be whole again? Maybe that's difficult for you to do today. Because you've never experienced someone doing that for you. And if you think that you're unlovable and no one would want to have anything to do with you because of who you are, or what you've done, where you've been, any of those kind of things, I am here to tell you today that God loved you so much that not only did he stop on the side of the road and see your need, he came down to you. He sent his son. The reason that we celebrated this past week 
that Jesus Christ was born with a purpose to come down to us, to get into our mess, to get his hands dirty, to give his life, to pay the ultimate price, to rise again so that I can be made right with God, so that I don't have to worry about taking care of my sin. I don't have to fix me. Jesus was the ultimate example of living loud. And if you've never heard that, or if you've never experienced that, my prayer is that before you leave today, you'll experience him coming to you and doing that in your own life. I want to ask everybody to close their eyes. I, I just want to ask a couple questions, and, and nobody's looking around. So first and foremost, what I want to ask is, as you're sitting here today and you're thinking about this, you're thinking, okay, how do I live loud? Who is it that I need to meet needs? Who is it that I need to love? Who is it that I need to get dirty for? Who is it that I need to be willing to pay whatever price I have to pay in order for them to be healed and made right with God? If you're thinking of a person right now, would you just raise your hand because I want to pray for you. I want to pray for you as you think about what do I do? God, for people right now who have their hands raised, for people who maybe they're not, and that's fine, but they're thinking of someone right now, God, I pray that you will give us the courage to get off of our animal, to not just see someone's need, but to meet their need. And that by living loud, it won't be necessarily about our lives being changed, but it'll be about their lives being changed. God, give us the courage, give us the strength, and help us remember. If I'm a follower of Christ and I'm doing that, that the same power that raised you from the dead lives in me, and so I have the ability and the power to be able to do the same for someone else. If you're here today and you don't, you've never experienced that kind of love. You didn't think you were lovable. You didn't think that God would want to have anything to do with you, but you've heard this today and you've recognized that maybe you're the person on the side of the road and you feel like people are passing you by and you feel like people don't want to have anything to do with you, but today you've heard about this God who loved you so much that he sent his son and that as he came to you to get into your mess and to deal with your sin so that he could have a relationship with you, so that you could be with him forever. And you're sitting there going, I want to experience that. I want to experience that healing. And all you need to do is just talk to God and say something like this to him. Father, I, God, I recognize that I'm beaten and bloodied and I feel like I've just been stripped and left for dead realize that that I'm a sinner and I can't do anything about that. I've been trying to heal myself and take care of me and I can't do it. And, And as much as I feel like the people have passed me by, I choose to believe today that you love me enough that you came to get into my mess. That you love me enough. Send your son and that he would die on a cross and that he would come back to life three days later to defeat sin. so that I can be made whole. So I ask you to forgive me of my sin, to change me and make me something new. I'm placing my faith in you. Thank you for your grace and your mercy and for being willing to do this for me and for saving me today. Father, I pray as this new year is upon us, that we'll continue to think. What if you just talked and never acted? It's easy to talk about how much we love people, but it's all about how we demonstrate it. You were willing to do it for us. May we have the boldness to go and do it the same for others. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.